Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, again, welcome. If, if you're new to the, the channel, to our church, this is the Desert Cities Church of Christ online service. So glad to have you joining us here today. And uh, I hope you guys had a great week and a, and a great Easter last weekend. I know my, my kids had a blast dressing up and looking for Easter eggs. And it was so cool to see the pictures and videos of of, uh, of so many of you as you were uh, spending time with your family on Easter. I love that we get to stay connected to each other uh, in that way, even while we're apart like this. You know, just to... To recap, uh, what we've been doing, especially if you've been, if you're here the first for the first time, uh, we've been going through a series for the last four or five weeks leading up to Easter, called the Rescue Story, and it was focused on different characters that were surrounding the story of the cross and and Jesus's rescue of them and kind of uh, what made their story unique. We went through Mary Magdalene, the thief on the cross. We went through Judas, uh, John, uh, the Apostle John. And, uh, and now we're actually going to get to, to close out our, our, our series today talking about Peter. But what I've loved about this, uh, this series is that really everybody's story was different. Their connection, their interaction, their rescue from Jesus was different. Uh, they were coming from different places. Um, but they all the same needed to be rescued by Jesus, uh, no matter where they were. And, uh, like I said, we're going to close out our series talking about Peter, and the title for our sermon here this morning is called The Reconciled. And we're going to say a word of prayer, and we're going to uh, jump right in. Father, I do just want to thank you so much for the opportunity that we have right now to um, be in your word together. Father, I pray that you help us just to fully engage with you. Thank you for the time to sing and worship uh, with uh, the videos from our, our sister churches from around the country. Um, I just pray right now that, that our, our, our eyes, our ears, our hearts will be attentive to your word. Please speak through me, Father, and, uh, and, and help this to really be something where we really engage with you in a special way. We love you. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, before we get into uh, the scriptures here, I want us to, to try to put ourselves into the mindset of Peter. And to, to get there, we got to consider first all that Peter had experienced with Jesus uh, up to the scripture that we're going to read here after the resurrection. Think of the sermons he had heard, the, the things that he had heard Jesus preach to people, the miracles he'd experienced from Lazarus raising to the dead, demons getting cast out. Um, he got to, he was one of three disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration that got to see Moses and Elijah talk to Jesus. Uh, he was the only disciple that walked on water. He, he experienced <clears throat> incredible things that none of the other disciples even got to experience in a special way. And that all led up to the, the night before the crucifixion at the Last Supper, when uh, when Jesus is, is telling his disciples that you guys are going to deny me, you're going to leave me. And uh, and he said, no, I'll never do it. I'll never, I'll never leave you. Even if I have to die with you, I'll never leave you. And that's when Jesus looked at him and tells him, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And, uh, and there's the, the whole, you know, no, he basically is telling Jesus, the Messiah, what you're saying is wrong and I'm not going to do it. And so I, I want us to even think about that for a second here. Have you ever said something to yourself or maybe even out loud that, that, that you would never do something? Or you would never become something. Maybe from growing up, you you witnessed something from people that you knew. You know, like you know, when I grow up, my, my marriage will never be like that. I'll never I'll never do something like that. I would never treat somebody this way, or whatever it may be. Um, because that, that's kind of where Peter was at at that point. 
was, 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 you know, okay, I'm, I'm never going to do this. And then later on that night, after Jesus is arrested and he's going through his trials and stuff and he's sitting uh, and he's there experiencing it with Jesus from a distance, he has the opportunity to own Jesus. He's questioned first by a servant girl who really, there was no risk of him saying that he was a disciple or a follower of Jesus. And yet he denied it to this girl. And then two other times he's asked, are, are you a disciple of Jesus? And he could have at that moment said, yes, he's my Lord. I am his follower. He could have done all those different things. And yet he chose to lie and deny Jesus. And I want you to take a second to think of you in your worst moment. And I know that's, you know, you're like, oh, all right, great, Jake. Thanks. Thanks for starting us off uh, in such a positive place. But I do want you to think of, of, or maybe, maybe a worst moment, not your worst, but, but a worst moment. Um, you know, something that, that you know that is damaging that you regret the most. Okay. Cause, Basically, in the story that we're about to read right now, that is where Peter is at. That he had denied Jesus, Jesus was crucified, and now he has to wait to see if Jesus is going to resurrect. And you think about what you would be thinking, what would you be feeling in those three days of waiting? Uh, maybe even how you would feel hearing for the first time that Jesus was alive. You know, Peter was one of the first people after the, the women said that he was gone that ran to the tomb, saw his, uh, saw the, the strips of linen that were laying there, and still he wasn't even convinced that Jesus had resurrected yet. That there was so much conflict that was going on in his heart about Jesus resurrecting. And so then Jesus appears to his disciples, and that's where we're going to pick up here in John chapter 21. So go ahead and Open your Bible, John chapter 21, verse 1. It reads, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It is happening this way. Simon Peter, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your nets on the right side of the boat and there you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not too far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. All right, we're going to stop there for a moment. So as the passage just ended there, it says that, that Jesus had appeared to his disciples twice already before this interaction. And here we can see Peter is struggling. Now that Jesus is back, instead of 
being fired up. You know, that if, that, that if he, he saw Jesus back, instead of running to go be with him and spend as much time with him as possible, we see that instead what he decides to do is he decides to go fishing. It's kind of an odd thing. And really, this kind of seems meaningless or innocuous by itself. But fishing represented something bigger for him. Fishing represented his old life before he met Jesus. His old life when Jesus had called him. It was his career. It was his way of making money. It was, it was all that he was kind of set up to do before Jesus came into his life. And so I think why he was, he was out fishing was because, number one, it was familiar. He knew it. He'd done it for years before this. Uh, maybe even he was thinking after, after the denial of Jesus and, and after Jesus was crucified, maybe he was, he was even considering going back to that old life. You know, or, or maybe just in general, he was just avoiding Jesus. You know, if, if, if you knew that Jesus was resurrected, I would imagine you'd want to go and spend time with him, but here he was avoiding Jesus to go fishing. Why? You know, I don't believe at this point he's wrestling with doubt about whether or not Jesus is alive. I think now he's wrestling with the fact that because Jesus is alive, he has to now face the reality of betraying and denying Jesus three times. He has to face the reality of his worst moment from just a few nights earlier. And that means he's got to confront the reality of his choices and and the, and what his sin had caused. And the truth is, this is painful for all of us. None of us likes the idea of, of staring our, our, our most regrettable moment in the eyes and talking about it, engaging with it, thinking about the consequences and the damage that it caused. And really, you know, th- thinking back to a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Judas, and we talked about how uh, I believe he would have had the opportunity to repent, but he didn't wait around for the resurrection. And, and part of it is even if maybe he had heard, maybe he, he knew that it was going to happen or he really did believe Jesus was going to come back, maybe for Judas it was just the reality of confronting, oh my gosh, I I betrayed the Lord. So if he comes back, you know, just the, the, the shame that, that would have come with that. And so for Judas, the shame was what, what led him to, to cash it in and decide not to, not to, to, to go for repentance. And so here we see, we see Peter in a very similar place. And what this communicates really is that shame is a very powerful thing. Shame feeds us with lies about our value to God and our value to each other. It tells us that we're, we're not worthy or, or that, that, that God is, is done with us, that we can't, we can't come back from what we've done. It can completely block us from the truth that Jesus offers and, and it can tell us that, that again, we're too far gone or, or maybe that we have to live in a state of penance where, you know, penance means, means that we're we're just we're, we're constantly trying to trying to make up for our dues, to pay off our debt, and maybe we've got to live in this self quarantined prison of shame and penance for the rest of our lives. Sometimes we will do anything and everything we can to avoid the truth of where we are and what we've done when we feel ashamed. And just like Peter, we run to our jobs to our hobbies, to social media, to entertainment, to whatever it is. You know, even now in our current state as we're, as we're in quarantine, it's maybe not quite the same thing, but we just maybe inundate ourselves with, 
uh, with watching, watching things on TV to distract us or, or throwing ourselves into spending a lot of time with our family, which there's nothing wrong with by itself, but it could be a means of avoiding, uh, avoiding having to confront where we really are and, and, and shame that we're struggling with. And when I think about myself so many times in my life, shame has just crippled me from seeing Jesus. In my past battles uh, with, with pornography and impurity, um, with relationships with women that were ungodly and selfish, um, lies that I told, I, I was I was such a liar for a part of my life that, that just that, that my my view of the truth and reality was even distorted. And but but even beyond that, the, the stuff that I struggle with now that it's not the, those aren't the same kind of battles that I have anymore. But I battle with selfishness. Uh, with pride, with anger, with with self idolatry. I mean, I mean, even even now, doing uh, be, being a minister in this kind of way, in this kind of setting, is is such a different thing nowadays because it's it, there's a lot of it that's on social media, and it's amazing how much I can get caught up in how many views or how many likes are out there, and and that's a struggle that 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 is is kind of new to me, and so much of me wants to wants to run and hide. When I think about that sin, when I think about the stuff that I, I the, the big things I really regret, but just the stuff that I struggle with on a regular basis, and I can hide and just and just trying to stay busy. In doing chores around my house and, and busying myself with with new videos or quiet times or whatever it may be for uh for for everybody out there. Or media consumption, just drowning myself in in in, in whatever could could kind of Numb the, numb the thinking a little bit or enjoy for a, for a little while. And really the truth of the matter is many of us sit in the same place as Peter. Many of us sit in this place where, where we feel conflict in our relationship with God. We, you know, maybe it's in, in, in an overarching way, it's in wanting to believe the truth about Jesus. You know, wanting to believe the truth about grace, about his love, about forgiveness. Maybe wanting to engage and, and, and to try following him and giving your life over as a disciple of Jesus. Maybe, maybe for the first time or again to re-engage because you've, you've disengaged or been stuck in sin. But we get stuck in fear. Stuck in, in, in this, in this pit of, of shame and regret. And here, Peter, this, 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 the, one of the, Jesus' closest friends, the, the man who witnessed all these miracles is now this completely, uh, just unmotivated, fearful, just shell of what he was just even a few days earlier. But even in the midst of this, what I love about this story is that Jesus inserts himself into Peter's life once again. He, he performs this miracle and it's, it's, and there's, there's a parallel to this story to when Jesus first called his disciples, Peter and his brother, uh, back in Mark 2 and Luke 5, where, where he first calls them to come and follow him and they're out fishing. And he says, come and follow me. And, and this is kind of a similar setting that you're there, they're returning to that, that life and, and Jesus shows up in that moment to remind them of who he is. And he does this first miracle, right? This, this miracle says, okay, I want you to, Oh, you've not been successful? Well, put your nets on this side of the boat instead. And just a little bit of knowledge about physics will tell you that if you're sitting on a boat on the water, this side of the boat versus this side of the boat doesn't matter. 
It doesn't change anything about where the fish are. But it was, once again, just to prove Jesus' power. It's like they all just went rushing into the nets as soon as they listened. And then, once they get up on shore and they recognize, man, this is the, this is the Lord, and Peter is, is full of excitement and jumps into the water, it seems like. And then there's Jesus sitting by a campfire and he invites him over for breakfast. And you gotta love that. There is something powerful when we're struggling in our faith and struggling with our heart that, that just, you know, alright, come on over and let's, let's have a meal together. And, uh, and let's get reconnected. And, uh, after they're done eating, Jesus, decides that this is the time that he wants to confront Peter's demon of shame and what he had done. And so let's let's pick up in verse 15. It says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, well, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So after their meal, Jesus decides to take Peter for a walk and for them to talk together. And we got to take note here that, that, that Jesus doesn't start with, Peter, you moron, I, I, you doubter, you, 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 you denier. He doesn't, he doesn't say any of those things to kind of beat him down where he was at or say, man, you should know better. You should be in a better place. You should believe that I'm here. He doesn't do that. Instead, what Jesus does here is something incredibly powerful and meaningful. He basically takes Peter back to three nights earlier in the same way that Peter was asked and he had the opportunity to claim Jesus as a disciple, as a follower. He asks him a question three times. He says, Peter, do you love me? He takes that sin, those moments of shame, and Jesus just confronts it head on. And he takes this broken man who couldn't look his Savior in the eye, and he leads him to the core question that really we all have to constantly ask. Jesus asks him, do you love me? And this is not a question meant that meant to condemn him or to or to just 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 leave him in shame it's not a question of emotion it's not a question of how peter feels about jesus in that moment this is the question this is the question to affirm why he chose to give his life to jesus to begin with why he left his nets why he left his livelihood to begin with why he would be willing to to walk on water why he would be willing to preach to people, to, to stand in opposition to, to his people, the Jews, who didn't believe in Jesus. Peter, do you love me? And he even says, Peter, do you love me more than, than these? And, and I think part of what he could mean is, is do, you, do you love me more than these things you're wrestling with? Do you love me more than these nets? More than your, your old life? Do you love me more than your fear? 
Do you love me more than your job? Do you love me more than your shame? Do you love me more than your anxiety? Do you love me more than your pet sin? Your worst moment? And that same question goes for us. Do you love Jesus? Not, not emotionally, but, but, but are you given over to love and obedience and lordship of Jesus more than those things? And on a deeper level, maybe, are you ready to be reconciled and restored to me again? When he's asking Peter, do you love me? He's, he's drawing him back to the relationship that had been broken by his sin. And each time Peter heard that, that question, he even says the third time that he was hurt, but you can imagine that, that Jesus asking, do you love me? was like a knife twisting in his heart, knowing what he had done and where he had been at. But Peter tells him, he says, Lord, you know that I love you. Even in the midst of all that he had to be feeling at that moment. When he really stopped to consider, when he really heard this question, he knew, yes, I do love Jesus. Yes, I want to follow him. Yes, I do. I do want to give my life over to you. And then what Jesus does here is he takes his, his statements, he takes the shame of his denials, and he basically told Peter, look, I'm not done with you yet. He still had work for him to do. He, he reminded him of his job, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, come and follow me. Oftentimes when we're stuck in this, in this cycle of shame, either we need to be reminded of, of, of what we're doing, of what we're supposed to be doing in following Jesus, or we need to just be told in, in our shame, look, this is what you're supposed to do. And he told him to get up. Just to stop wallowing and to follow him once again. And from here on out, what we see in the Bible is that Jesus never asked him this again. He never asked him again, do you love me, Peter? And really, I think what that communicates is there was no no more need to. There was, there was no need for penance. He didn't want Peter to be living the rest of his life, you know, feeling like he's gotta, he's gotta ask and answer that question out loud to Jesus every single day in the same kind of way. You know, that he had spent enough time probably in those three days struggling and, you know, wanting to kill the rooster that was crowing and reminding him of what he had done. That he didn't, he doesn't want us to live our lives in a state of penance. That's not what the cross and the resurrection was about. You know, this week, uh, I was reading this story in India. If, you, if you've seen some of the videos, they've been really trying to trying to go after this, this shelter-in-place stuff. And they've been riding around on scooters and whacking people with canes to get them to go back inside. But there was this story about, about tourists that were visiting in India that had disobeyed the quarantine orders. And they went out and were visiting some of the tourist spots. And so instead of, well, as far as we know, they didn't, they didn't cane them, but... Um, the government required them to, to write out 500 times, I did not follow the rules of lockdown. I am very sorry. 500 times. That, that was their, that was their penance was to be reminded of what they had done wrong. And I share that story because I think that's sometimes how we can feel or, or treat our relationship with Jesus is that we're, we're supposed to, we're supposed to be paying our penance for for years or days to come, to, to write out 500 times, yes, I love Jesus and I'm sorry for the sin that I've committed. But that's not what he wanted for Peter. That's not what he wants for us. 
Right now, I believe part of why God is allowing all of this to take place for us personally is I believe that Jesus is trying to confront us on our sin, on the truth of who we are, and our shame in a unique way. We're in our boats of self-quarantine. In whatever fashion it is for us, trying to fish unsuccessfully, trying to figure out how to manage this new lifestyle. And he's inviting us to come and sit with him. You know, through this time, I've seen Jesus confronting me on my selfishness and my need for approval in a very, very real way. But maybe more importantly, in a deeper sense, he's confronting me about a deep insecurity and need to even busy myself in this insecurity because I really don't trust what God says about my value. I don't trust what he says about forgiveness or about grace, that that I live in a state of penance, just trying to throw out nets like Peter, hoping I'm going to catch something in vain, just thinking I've got to stay busy. I've got to, I've got to work to make God happy. That, that if I'm not meeting with people constantly, if I'm not, if I'm not doing my job as a husband, as a father, then, then God is not, is not pleased with me. He doesn't love me in the same kind of way. And I believe Jesus is asking me right now, Jake, do you love me more than this? Do you love me more than your need for approval? Do you love me more than, than your need to trust your thinking? But then again, on a deeper level, will you be reconciled? Will you be restored to me? And the difference between shame and the power of, of the resurrection really is that shame condemns you for your sin and leaves you to suffer in hiding. And right now it's really easy to suffer in silence because we're not around people as much. But the resurrection gives you the hope of repentance and reconciliation to our relationship with God. Nothing you have done, ever could do, will be bigger than the power of the resurrection. But we have to start by being willing to own and identify where our shame is coming from. And to, and to see and to, and to connect with the fact that Jesus has a life that's so much greater in store for us. You know, we're going to have a time of worship and to take communion together in just a moment. And I want to read one more passage to help drive this home for us uh, as we get ready to take communion together. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start actually in verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul was writing this to a church of disciples, to a church of people who were following Jesus but who had been in sin and needed to be reconciled once again. And he reminds them 
that Jesus died ultimately in the big picture to reconcile the world to God. Which what that means, the word reconciliation is to, in its, in its purest form is to take two enemies, two warring parties and create unity and a rebonding in relationship. So what that means for us spiritually is that reconciliation to God is he, is he takes us at our worst, that Jesus died and resurrected for us at our worst. Romans 5 says when we were enemies of God, in our sin, to restore us from being enemies to being children of God. That Jesus rescued Peter. What we see in this story, Jesus rescued Peter through the cross and resurrection. He paid the debt. He made it possible. But Peter needed to still choose whether or not he wanted to be reconciled. And if we compare this to the story of Peter and Judas... From a couple weeks ago, that Judas was in sin. He was he, that was his worst moment in his life, but he could have repented. He could have he could have sought reconciliation through the resurrection. But what we see here is that Peter did, and sadly Judas didn't. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you've made him Lord of your life. Or maybe if you haven't yet, if you haven't committed your life to following Jesus, if you, if you're not sure if you want to be a disciple, if, if there's, if there's questions or things that you're struggling with right now, it doesn't matter where you are. He is trying to meet you where you are and he's trying to implore you to come be reconciled. That if you're not in a right relationship with him, he wants to restore, he wants to, to bridge that gap to, to save you from your sin and reconcile you to God. If you, if you are a disciple of Jesus and you've been distant, you've, you've, you've messed up, you've made choices, then he still wants to bring you back to be reconciled even now. And so as we take communion together, I want us to consider some of these things. I've got some questions for us to, to, to meditate on as we're, as we're taking communion. Number one, where is shame living in your home? Where, where are the areas where, where you feel the, the biggest shame or regret about? And number two, how have you been avoiding Jesus? What are the things that you've been doing to, to pull away from, from your relationship with God? And then number three, how can you be reconciled to God? Ultimately, again, the words that Paul says here is, is that we implore you to be reconciled. There's an urging, there's a pleading, there's, 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 if, if you've, if you are a disciple and you've messed up to come back, if you, if you've been questioning, and I want to urge you, especially if you're watching and you're, you're searching, you're not sure where you are in your relationship with God, you've, or, or maybe you've, you've wanted to take those steps, you've wanted to turn over to becoming a disciple, but you've been hesitant or you've been living in shame or fear. Please take the urging of, of, of the Bible here to, to reach out, to look for what reconciliation means. You know, if you don't know who to contact, you can talk to somebody that invited you to, to watch this video. You can uh, reach out to us on social media. You could go to our, our website, desertcitieschurch.com. But please, don't suffer in silence. Let's look for reconciliation in our relationship with God. We're going to say a prayer and then have a time to sing some songs and then there'll be a time to pause to take communion together. Let's pray. God, I really want to thank you so much for just what an incredible thing it is that, that number one, that the, the resurrection is something we still get to connect with, not just one day a year and not just once in our life, but every day 
going forward. But also, God, that the resurrection is what affords us the ability to be reconciled, to be bridged in our relationship with you again. But I pray, Father, I know that you leave this in our hands about whether or not we want to be reconciled. That Jesus already paid the cost. He, he, he died. His body was broken. His blood was shed. And that's part of why we're, we're, we're taking communion together right now is to remember that. But also, God, that we have the, we have the, the, the ability to choose right now to be reconciled. And I pray that that will stir in us and that we will make the decision to turn over to you. God, we love you in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.